Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Oh, Jacqueline Coley, this is so much fun because the 4th of July weekend celebration is about to be upon us, and that can only mean one thing in my household. Do you know how the Ellis Manor West, which is me and Molly the Wonder Dog, celebrate 4th of July? Uh, I'm going to guess that there is light beer involved, but I don't know. There is a lot of, I'm just going to say it, it's a lot of white trash beer involved, and it's usually either some sort of John Mellencamp concert that I find, or a documentary about John Cougar Mellencamp, or we usually cap it off with this particular movie that we're talking about today, and that would be the one, the only, no, 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 not that movie where there's something about to blow up Earth in 1998, the other movie, Michael Bay's (laughs) classic Armageddon. It is, listen to this. Are you sitting down, audience? 38% on the tomato meter, which puts it squarely in rotten territory. But there's good news out there for all of us Americans and everyone else around the world, Jacqueline. Do you know what that is? America. Well, yeah, but also (laughs) America and the audience on Earth spoke just as loud as that tomato meter. They have arrived at a 73% fresh audience score. So there's a big disparity with this movie between the tomato meter and the audience score between the critics and the people who paid to see this movie and eat a lot of popcorn during it. And so we're going to get a lot of insight into this movie, not just with you and me and our feelings about Armageddon some 20 plus years later. We're also going to welcome in a very special guest to the show who he's the co-host of the binge boys podcast alongside Hal Rudnick who is also a great friend of the show he happens to be the most professorial delinquent or a delinquent who dabbles in professionalism and that would be Lon Harris Lon welcome to the show I am so happy to have you on here finally and I have but one question for you and your lovely dog taco is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about Armageddon Rat Tomatoes could not be more wrong about Armageddon. 38%. This is a travesty. This is an insult to America. This is an insult to the world. This is an insult to Bruce Willis, the person. I, 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 we, we have to do something about this. We have to discuss this. Thank you so much for opening with that fervor. Because, Jacqueline, I feel like Lon thinks that this score is an attack on all oil drillers across the globe <laughs> so how dare they do heroes. this to the roughneck nation i won't stand for it <laughs> i am so excited about this episode so folks light up your sparklers be safe about it uh fire up the barbecue and settle in for a nice discussion about the film armageddon with us jacqueline here comes your challenge you put this on me with tenet so i get to fire back with maybe i'll say this This might be the easiest synopsis we've ever done. What is Armageddon about? Armageddon stars Bruce Willis as an oil driller because we open the film with meteor showers coming down and people basically saying, oh, my God, the world is about to blow up because there is a world killer meteor coming to destroy the Earth. And then they decide, well, we're going to send our fastest ships up there to Allah, as a man would do, drill a hole in it and blow it up. But rather than get astronauts trained in oil drilling or sorry, uh, get astronauts trained in drilling, we're going to send up a bunch of not healthy, crazy, probably um, vendors of some kind and send them up to the moon to save the world. And that is led by Bruce Willis. He's along with Ben Affleck, who's dating his daughter, played by Liv Tyler. 
We have a host of other great 90s characters like Owen Wilson and also Steve Buscemi sort of slumming it in a Michael Bay movie. But, you know, they go up there to save the day and they do. Bruce Willis has to stay behind because they can't get the bomb off without him. And then the Steven Tyler music plays and Diane Warren wrote the song, but it didn't win the Oscar. And that's Armageddon. Boom. It can survive all of the slings and arrow smiths that are coming towards it from critics because it did phenomenal business around the world when it came out. It is still rewatched, not just on July 4th, but really any day of the year you put on Armageddon. You might have a lot of jokes at its expense, but you also might have a tear welling up in your eye because of Diane Warren's lyrics for Aerosmith's classic tune. Armageddon it, you're really getting it. Well, someone who always gets us here is our producer, Lucy. Uh, hello, Lucy. Your hello. thoughts on Armageddon. Did you get a chance to rewatch this for the show? Last night, and it messed me up. About halfway through when Bruce Willis is, is saying goodbye to Liv Tyler, and they have their little like, you're going to come back, right, Dad? I was like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I started crying then and didn't really stop. Yeah, it's so it, it, good. It, it just hits you different, especially if you've had to say goodbye to a parent. It's like Armageddon. <laughs> this this cheeseball blockbuster movie just works on so many levels that you did not know it could infiltrate. And that's probably one of the reasons why it endures so much. And so, look, Lon, you said that you think that the tomato meter is absolutely abhorrently wrong with this. You think that 38 percent is I'm, just I'm a, a little travesty. disgusted. I'm just a, a small, tiny bit disgusted with it, yeah. Okay, let's see if my co-pilot agrees. Jacqueline, you are, let's face it, the Han to my Chewie, so you would be like, <laughs> you would be the Bruce Willis to my Owen Wilson. Do you think that Rotten Tomatoes is wrong? Yeah, I'm gonna say 38 is a bit harsh, but I don't wanna give Michael Bay any credit, so I'm not gonna say, basically I'm like, I'm not saying that the Rotten Tomatoes is right, but I understand. <laughs> I understand. I understand why they were like, we just can't with this anymore. But I, I'm, I have fun with this movie. This movie has a lot. I love a good montage. And this movie knows how to do them well. As does the director, like you mentioned, Michael Bay. Great at montages, great at those up-close shots of billowing trench coats and slow-motion walks. And this, if it was fresh, like Lon, and I think it is. I think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong, too, by the way. I think it's closer to the audience score. I could see this movie landing at 60.01%, and I'd be happy with that. Just get it into Freshville, because Michael Bay deserves another fresh movie. Is he my favorite director? No. Do I like what he did with Transformers? Not at all, but I love The Rock and I love 13 Hours. So I think he deserves another fresh film on his resume. It might as well be Armageddon. But while we're here yapping, the critics have already spoken. And for more on what they were saying at the time of the film's release, way back when, when we were all so young in 1998, we go to our expert review curation manager here at Rotten Tomatoes, Mr. Tim Ryan. Tim, take it away. Two men's with Tim. There's an old saying that movies come in pairs, and the late 1990s was a particularly weird time where a bunch of thematically similar movies were being released around the same time. Some notable examples include two movies about track star Steve Prefontaine, which is Prefontaine in 1997 and Without Limits in 1998. And two animated films about insects. Both Ants and a Bug's Life were released within weeks of each other in the fall of 1998. Of course, nothing could possibly compare to the four body switch comedies like Father Like Son, Vice Versa, 18 Again, and Big that were released in 1987 and 1988. There were two films about global catastrophes in 1998. Armageddon came out less than two months after Deep Impact, which at 45% on the tomato meter didn't exactly set the world on fire, no pun intended, but it spent more time with his characters and benefited from Morgan Freeman's central performance. In the case of Armageddon, the critics that liked it felt it was like a roller coaster with its visceral thrills and big special effects triumphing over its plot and characters. But most reviewers felt it was too noisy, too long, too predictable, and the characters were particularly thin. It's at 38% on the tomato meter with 122 reviews, but it does have a 73% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times wrote, Here it is at last, the first 150-minute trailer. 
Armageddon is cut together like its own highlights. Take almost any 30 seconds at random and you'll have a TV ad. The movie is an assault on the eyes, the ears, the brain, common sense, and the human desire to be entertained. No matter what they're charging to get in, it's worth more to get out. However, in a fresh review, David Edelstein of Slate wrote, Along with the rest of the audience, I jumped when I was meant to jump, laughed when I was meant to laugh, and swallowed a lump in my throat when I was meant to feel moved. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus for Armageddon reads, Lovely to look at, but about as intelligent as the asteroid that serves as the movie's antagonist, Armageddon slickly sums up the cinematic legacies of producer Jerry Bruckheimer and director Michael Bay. So anyway, Mark and Jacqueline, I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about this movie, and I don't want to miss a thing. Oh, Tim sounded like he was saying that reference to the Aerosmith song against his will, but that's why he is the most professional out of any of us. Thank you, Tim, for that. Yeah, that was the thing that I I looked at a lot of critic reviews of this movie last night in prepping for this episode, and that was their biggest complaint. It wasn't even the science loopholes. It was just this movie is so loud. And this movie is just such a big music video that's all tied together. And I just, I get that complaint, but I also, that might be one of the reasons why I have so much fun watching it. So we're going to get into all of that and more when we talk about Armageddon and the movie scenes in particular. Let's get back to 1998 right now with a little help from our friends. Brian, cue the music. You know, Juan, Jacqueline, this is that movie that if I could watch this film with one other person in a movie theater, that human being, unfortunately, would not be either one of you two. It would be Neil deGrasse Tyson, just because I would love (laughs) to watch his head explode trying to figure out how you could even rectify putting this... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this hooligan movie that is just such a scientific fraud on the big screen. Juan, we get past that, though, because we have such a good time watching it. Do you have a scene that just leaps out at you from Armageddon that explains why you have such an affinity for this and why you think the movie deserves to be fresh? I mean, I love the fact that it is fast and loose with the science. I feel like we get so many of those movies where it's like, this is what space is really like, and this is how exacting it is and how careful you have to be and how, you know, there's a lot of those Apollo 13 movies. Like, if this screw is one-eighth looser, then we blow up on re-entry, you know, and you have to get all the angles of the math exactly right. It's like refreshing to watch a movie where Ben Affleck is like, I bet that we could just jump this buggy uh, over this canyon. We don't need to do a calculation. We're on an asteroid. There's some gravity. Like even when scientists and doctors talk in this movie, everything always gets reduced immediately. Like nobody says anything sciencey the entire time. Like even when it's just NASA guys sitting around, they're like, so it's big? It's like, that's the size of Texas. Like, I don't think that's how doctors talk, but. What is this thing? It's an asteroid, sir. How big are we talking? Sir, our best estimate is 97.6 billion. It's the size of Texas, Mr. President. Yes, sir. Dan, we didn't see this thing coming. Well, our object collision budget's a million dollars. That allows us to track about 3% of the sky. And begging your pardon, sir, but it's a big-ass sky. All right, so yeah, I think those are the moments that I, I love the most, where it's just like... They're they're just gonna do the thing, and it's just physically possible <laughs> because they because they want it to be like when the when the entire Russian space station is exploding. Like, pretty sure that would happen quickly, and you'd all be dead. It wouldn't be like one little compartment at a time, so you had time to like run away. And that's also the entire movie, Jack. When is you have like you said so eloquently in your synopsis of this film is that the premise of the film is, hey, look, we can either we have one of two options here. We can either train some astronauts in how to do some drilling on an asteroid or we can just have people who know how to drill into cavernous rocks on Earth and send them up and train them in the art of astronauting. And then everything is going to be fine and we're going to save the world that way. And so given the context that this is an entirely ridiculous premise, what is the scene to you that says, and I'm going to give you an option here because I know you're not as high on this movie as Lon and I. Do you have a scene that illustrates why you can say this movie is too low on the tomato meter? Or do you have a scene as to why it is as low as it is? I'll give it to like, this is a scene where like I get it and I enjoy it very much. I, I I will say again, because 
even though I'm not like, this is the greatest movie ever, I do like it. And I think I actually have it on on DVD. And I know I had it at one point on VHS. So like, I'm not going to pretend like I don't like Armageddon. I was entertained <laughs> watching it again. You know, Russell Crowe didn't need to ask. But the scene that sort of, I think, <laughs> encompasses why I really like it is that it is these characters. Like, they're just so stupid, but so entertaining. And the montage when they get Harry and like basically say to him, okay, come to NASA. And he's just like, these idiots are not going to be able to do it. Let me go get my ragtag groups. And they basically go throughout the United States looking for these people. All they got to do is drill. That's it. No spacewalking, no crazy astronaut stuff. Just drill. How many men were you planning on taking up there? We're sending up two shuttles, two teams. If I do this, I'm going to want to take my own men. You got it. And then you got like one of them, like, you got Owen Wilson, I think, like riding on the horse. You mm-hmm. got Rock Hound being like, that girl t- told me she was 18. <laughs> yeah, they do the, they totally do the getting the heist crew together. Yes, like, you I... son of a bitch, I'm in <laughs> sequence, even though they don't have to. They just showed them together. And all Bruce Willis did was get on a helicopter. Like, why are they exactly. rounding them up across the it, US? How do they it, even have time? CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Exactly, but it's so funny. And I think what also it is too is like these are two sort of things and it capsulates that scene when they're agreeing to do it is when they have their list of demands. Mm -hmm. And like one of them is like, we want to know who killed JFK. I just think that like stuff like that is just so stupid and in (laughs) no way cinematic. But how are you not entertained? How are you not entertained? And that's really great because as the story progresses, it's those moments that make you sort of love them a bit is the reason why um, you feel for them and are invested in them even more than saving the world. You find it endearing, Juan, because it's almost like you go back to the original Burt Reynolds' The Longest Yard, where it's, or or even Bad News Bears, or it it, it feels like a sports movie in that scene that Jacqueline's talking about, where, look, they go to Bruce Willis's character, NASA goes to Bruce Willis's character, they say, hey, there's this rock, and you're the guy, you're the best, you're the number one ranked oil driller on (laughs) Earth, and so you have to get your crew together, and he is now kind of realizing that the ball is in his court, and that he has some power hour here and so just uniting this ragtag group of 'er ne'er-do-wells for this mission is one of the most fun parts and I would throw in there one of my favorite scenes is the night before they really have to get locked in and actually go do this mission is they all just go out and have this crazy night and there's a fist fight there's a brawl at a at a place of ill repute there's exotic dancing going on there's there's one dollar bills making it rain they're drinking too much they're getting into trouble and you just love watching them interact as a crew but there is this tinge of emotional weight to it because they know that this is probably the last night that they ever get to party on earth like this Hmm. yeah yeah i think one of the things that makes this movie stand out especially in like a modern context is that you do spend a lot of time with these guys before the main story kicks in. Movies are in such a relentless hurry, I think. And a lot of times we kind of gloss over that. You get one or two scenes with the crew and then we're like, into the mission, into the story. Like, let's get to space. And this movie, it's like 45 minutes of them just 
oil drilling and training and getting to know each other. And it does pay off once they're on the asteroid. Does Juan Harris get emotional at any point watching Armageddon? And if so, what is the moment for you? What is the scene for you that says, hey, this is more than just shoving a bunch of popcorn in our face and ignoring science? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, listen, the, the end of the movie is it's well done. It's it is what it is. It's it's sweeping. It's over the top. Like this is the Michael Bay where, you know, he's he's using the MTV editing and sort of modern techniques. And his aesthetic was very like 90s. But he's got he's got the soul of like an old showman, you know, like he was doing Pearl Harbor after this. He's got a very like sentimental old Hollywood side to him underneath all of the like tracking shots where you go like underneath the guy and swoop around Will Smith and Martin Lawrence or whatever. And I think that comes out in the in the climax of Armageddon when it really is about, you know, this this sacrifice that the Bruce Willis character is, uh, you know, is making and and the the real human cost that it has back on Earth. Daddy. Hi, Gracie. Hi, honey. Grace, I know I promised you I was coming home. I don't under- understand. Looks like I'm going to have to break that promise. I, um, I lied to you, too, when I told you that I didn't want to be like you. Because I am like you. Jacqueline, that scene for me gets me every time. And I think I would have said this even before, you know, my family lost our patriarch, is that that scene, for whatever reason, is at the end when we realize that we have this bomb and we successfully put this bomb in the heart of the asteroid. And so we can blow it up. The problem is that we need somebody to go down there and trigger it. And if you trigger the bomb, you can't just do it remotely uh, for whatever technical reason didn't happen correctly. So now we got to go down there. We actually have to press the explode yeah. button on the bomb yeah. like we're Wiley e. Coyote and hope that it works. And so Bruce Willis and Ben <laughs> Affleck have this sort of switcheroo because Bruce knows that even though he's not crazy about his little girl, coincidentally played by Liv Tyler, who is the his daughter of Steven Tyler, who's singing girl. the song. yeah. He says, like, I don't like you, but I know it's going to break my little girl's heart and that you you two are truly in love. And I accept that. So I'm going to do the old switcheroo and I'm going down to detonate this thing. And oh, I disagree with your read, Mark Ellis. You think what? he really doesn't like Ben Affleck and he's just doing it for Liv Tyler's sake? I think, I he, think that I think he, he was he really never does a fan see of the ben relationship. Affleck as a son and he never was able to say it. OK, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't this know. guy, if if Harry Stamper, Bruce Willis's character, had his way on Earth, it, it okay, Lon. I'll put it like this: It took a freaking asteroid threatening the very existence of the human species to get Bruce Willis to even want to shake Ben Affleck's hand no, if he was picking just, his daughter up for listen, prom. He he'd had he'd had some shocking news. He felt very upset that morning that he hadn't been told about their relationship before. Felt a little betrayed. Felt stung. By betrayal, he got a little hot under the collar. He got a little upset. I'm confident that would have blown over had there not been an asteroid. They they would have made up. That there would have been a mutual understanding. I don't I don't think you could fake the funk like at the end that way. Like I don't think Bruce Willis is a big faker, and he's just pretending to see this guy as as a, he calls him son when he's going back up into the into the ship for the last okay, time. Okay, I'll give you that. Goodbye. He does say son. He says, he uh, say son. says, I'll see you, son. Take care of her son or whatever. Like, he he means it. He feels that. He's just, listen, he's a, he's a roughneck. He's an oil man. These these emotions don't come easily to uh, to a to a Bruce Willis. He's got to he's got to build up to it. And a whole generation of men who will not embrace therapy is born. I agree with you that um, <laughs> this was probably him, you know, showing emotion because yeah. basically it's literally the end of the world. That's the only time um, it's allowed. It's the only time it's allowed. Yeah. Well, think to, you about know, Billy Bob show. Thornton never sheds a single tear. He's facing down the end of the world the whole movie. I mean, also, too, I did like the fact that he did it. With, like, this was just like, I will say for how stupid it is. Let's be honest. First of all, the fact that he. He's able to rip a patch off of a spacesuit <laughs> that's supposed yeah. to keep you alive no matter what, because this is some real top notch. We can build two planes that can fly faster than any other planes can fly, but the patches <laughs> done. Um, yeah, I, I give it to you on that one. Also, I just want to give a little shout out, though, to Jason Isaacs, who shows up at the very early part 
um, with Billy Bob Thornton, who's sort yes. of leading the nerds. There's the nerd patrol who come up with this genius idea that the people <laughs> of NASA hate so much that they wrote literally like an entire like entry about how stupid it is. <laughs> They're like, this will never happen. We would never be able to even build a bomb big enough to blow this thing up. Anyway, Jason Isaacs coming with his whole like, I don't think that a man who failed physics at MIT should be the person that the president is taking advice but I was like, oh, the British shade. I love him <laughs> so much. He's my favorite thing in the very first parts of this movie. Him and shout out to random Eddie Griffin because yes. I still yeah. want to be a part of the casting session that Michael Bay had to say, we're going to get Eddie Griffin. Yeah. I feel like that something. must have been special or he must have been like, I want there to be one New Yorker who's reacting and it needs to be specifically Eddie Griffin. Eddie like, Griffin. Sure. Let's get under. Like, <laughs> I will give a huge shout out to Eddie Griffin. And if and folks Mark Curry, out there. And Mark Curry. Mark Curry yeah, got Mark in there Curry's, as well. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Mr. Cooper. Cooper. Mr. Cooper. Yes. Mr. Cab Driver. Yeah. If if y'all have not seen Undercover Brother, we, we should There's do a Rotten is Wrong episode about Undercover Brother because yes. that is a criminally underrated and I'm sure, film I'm sure starring is, is wrong about it. Eddie Griffin. Yes. Yeah. So look, th this movie, Billy Bob Thornton is, is one of the, the things I wanted to bring up here, because when you talk about actors and performances in this movie, Bruce Willis does a great job being that that alpha male, that that movie star lead where you're only allowed to cry if it's the end of the world or if a famous athlete is retiring. Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler do a great job as the young couple who are in love, who have to go do something and they're apart, but they still love each other. And this only seals their bond even more. But Billy Bob Thornton is tasked with really a dual role in this movie because, Lon, you brought up Apollo 13. Billy Bob Thornton has to be that Ed Harris voice of reason and calmness in the room at NASA when you're monitoring the situation. But he also has to be like who Bill Pullman was in Independence Day because he is given so many lines that in lesser hands could have sunk this movie because they just would have rolled off so cheesy or just implausible. And as ridiculous as the movie itself is, Billy Bob Thornton would not be my first round draft pick to play a head of NASA, but he mm. would be if you said we need that head of NASA to be able to relate all of this scientific mumbo jumbo to us, the regular audiences of the world. I want Billy Bob Thornton being that guy to explain it to me. Yeah. Yeah. Th there's a lot of movies that try to do also this character who's like, He's like a bureaucrat, but he's also a cowboy. Like it was yeah. just Jeffrey Dean Morgan <laughs> just did it in Rampage a few years ago, where it's yep. like, look at his belt buckle and his revolver. He doesn't do things the way other guys do. Mm -hmm. And Billy Bob has that exact same role here. It's like, what if the head of NASA, but also Texan? And yeah. he nails it. It's, it's not over the top. It doesn't feel cheesy or too much. It just feels like... Well, yeah, this guy's uh, from Texas and sees himself it makes as good kind of sense. A it makes yeah, sense. There's an entire fits. like like going to to the sort of like junior astronaut program was like a legit Texas thing. I can say as a girl that was raised in Texas, it was something that I was not necessarily about. But tons of my kids, they used to do like advertisements for it, like on Saturday morning cartoons to be like, you can go to the NASA junior space program, which was oh. basically just pay a bunch of money to go pretend you're an astronaut for a week. Space camp. <laughs> yeah, space, yeah, space My camp. only point of reference on this was the film Space Camp. Yeah, it, well, ex <laughs> and it's exactly that, except yeah. for it's much more of a commercialistic endeavor with no cho with no hopes of ever making kids smart enough to do <laughs> you this don't space it's worth it. Thompson doesn't no. accidentally blast you. It's no. worth the money if you get to go in that thing, that like that like weird like aggro crag jumbotron thing where they just strap you in and just moves you all around in different like, Oh my God. I don't, know, I don't know if they're insurance would, would hold that. I think the best you got to do would be to do those like zero gravity like air thingies, which okay. now you can do in like Glendale for 150 <laughs> yeah, bucks. Like, those, are at, those are at the mall now. Yeah. Like again, <laughs> this, this is the 90s kids. We were doing the best you that we could. You also get that freeze dried ice cream. You get to try some of that, some of that freeze dried ice cream. <laughs> Back in my day, go-karts didn't have seat belts. <laughs> yeah. One thing I was going to say about Armageddon is in addition to, we mentioned Jason Isaacs, we mentioned Billy Bob Thornton. I feel like every speaking role in this movie went to some notable character actor. There's no, Udo Kier is the psychiatrist. Peter Stormare is the Russian cosmonaut. Yeah. William Fickner is the guy, the, 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 you know, on the yeah. shuttle. Keith David is the general they have to battle with back in DC. Like, 
everybody's famous. Seriously. Also, freaking um, Buscemi, again, slumming it, but slumming it in the best possible way where it's just like, I'm going to be slightly pedophilic and creepy. (laughs) Yeah. And then I go crazy for the second half of the movie full of crazy people. Yeah. Awesome. The other one, Buscemi in a, in a Bruckheimer. Eddie Buscemi, oh a, a Buscemi performance in a Bruckheimer movie is mwah, perfect. Also, if we're going to go ahead and make the 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 sort of like jump or bridge between 80s cheesies movie, cheesy movies that did not get the right tomato meter rating with 90 cheesy movies that did not get the right tomato meter rating, the kernel of the the I guess it's the the freedom or whichever one is the one that goes down the one that Ben Affleck is on uh that colonel the one that like turns around it's like we're all gonna die that is the bad guy from Roadhouse that is Marcus Teague for folks that don't know the guy that Patrick Swayze ends up like like ripping his neck the throat the throat rip dude that dude did not that dude I would also, as producer Lucy and I were talking pre-show, Will Patton is also great in everything. He's he's the assistant coach in Remember the Titans, and then he also shows up here. And so I think that's one of the reasons why critics at the time, or even now, would watch this movie and think this is just one giant music video billboard is because it's a new famous person every minute that is introduced in this film, and they have a couple lines, and then sometimes they stick around, other times they just get out of the movie Mm -hmm. for the rest of the the running time. But you just it's so fun to watch them lean into it because if they do not commit to it then you really don't have any semblance of a movie but everybody goes all out here that's what I love about this film and it doesn't take itself nearly as seriously as the other Comet movie that Tim Ryan referenced at the time which was Deep Impact because this was one of those things 98 it was like 1992 with Columbus movies where you had competing Mm -hmm. movies and there's a reason why Armageddon is still the more favored one as far as audiences go it's interesting to look at Deep Impact has a higher tomato meter score, but a much lower audience score. Because they got too nerdy with it. Yeah, they just got too nerdy. But they also, there's a nice emotional scene at the end of Deep Impact. But even though that movie took itself more seriously, I still get the emotional weight in Armageddon more. Yeah, Deep Impact is trying to do that thing of like it's a it's realistic. It's like what would what would really happen? It's trying to be I don't know if I want to say it's realistic, but it's trying to be a what would really happen if this happened in the world? And Armageddon is just the complete 180 like how can we make this a goofy, intense, exciting thrill machine without any regard for what would really happen in the actual world? And I don't know if this movie had a good tomato meter rating. Um, if somebody wants to look it up, but Greenfield or Greenfell, the the Jared uh, Greenland. Butler one, Greenland. There you yeah. go. That recently came out. I watched this one, and I remember it was really funny. Like the publicist, like emailed me. She's like, "So what did you think?" I was like, "I think I liked it better when it was Deep Impact." But I'm not gonna lie. This is the best <laughs> thing Butler has done in a long time, and I think the reason why is it threaded that needle a little better with the emotion, the bizarrety, the stupidity, but then also like the reality, because that one was less about like, let's go save the world as and it was much more like Deep Impact. where like, we just need to hide and like burrow down deep and just the realities of doing that. Like the reason why Jared Butler and his family get saved is because he's a structural engineer. And so they're like, yeah, the world is going to be over when we're done. And that movie's getting a sequel, something that neither one of these two have God. This it's seventy eight percent certified fresh. There really you go. There I you think go. that one. I, there's only one really like big. I thought it was going to be much more action driven. There's only like one big action sequence in Greenland where all the like the little meteors yeah. are falling. Like it's it, really much more of like just like a thriller about. Yeah. You gotta, it almost and has not, that, that Walking Dead like the real the real horror is exactly. Man. But it's that's not, still action to me, even though it's not like a big action like explosion sequence. The idea of like can we get here? Let's go get the insulin and like doing that sort of like, we got to like, you know, like, right. that's like but a- the connective tissue between Greenland and Armageddon is, is you have that, that leading action star where if I was watching Armageddon, but it didn't have, unfortunately, maybe that's just how us audiences are trained now, especially in 1998. If, if you see this movie and it doesn't have people you recognize, it, it, this is direct to, to VHS at the time. 
the the fact that Bruce Willis is on the movie poster, the fact that we've been following this guy in adventures and exploding buildings and on wings <laughs> of airplanes and running around New York City with Sam Jackson, we believe this guy. Anything that this guy's doing, we lend him credibility. And so I think that that is one of the most important things of this movie is that you can take a lot of films. There's a lot of movies out there, folks. And I hate to say this, Star Wars nerds. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't scientifically check out in Star Wars. Mm. Explosions don't make noise in outer space. Sorry to break that to you. And so yeah. if you really want to go down that rabbit hole as to, well, that's not scientifically, pretty much every, even Gravity, which is a movie that took itself so seriously, has things that don't necessarily check every box as far as reality goes when you're in outer space. And yeah, so, Neil deGrasse Tyson hates that one, too. Yeah, I, that's what yeah I, he, he probably likes He's Armageddon more fan. than Gravity because at least Armageddon wow, knew what it was. <laughs> and it, the, the music video quality of this movie is something else I wanted to touch on before we move to behind the scenes is because this movie is an assault on your senses with explosions, with great cheesy, and I say that in the same sentence, one-liners, but there's also a heavy dose of rock music, particularly from one of the all-time greats, Aerosmith, does that up the quality of the movie for you, or does that make it feel more like a commercial? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think that it... Uh, I, I don't feel like this movie looks like a music video. I think that this movie looks like peak vintage Michael Bay. Like, this is the Michael Bay style, and it's it's quick-cutting, but it's, it's all to, like, draw you in and draw you into the intensity of the moment. Like, even if you can't see exactly what it is that you're seeing, it's not just quick-cut to, like quick cutting looks cool or gives you that cool music video effect. It's like, oh my God, Ben Affleck's got to get out of this, this, you know, shuttle right now. It's about to explode. It's like getting, building and building the intensity around that moment. I don't know if that's like a music video, which I think of as just like flash and spectacle. I don't, I don't know. It feels more directed to me what Michael Bay is doing. Having said that, there certainly are some sequences of the movie where it is just like, you know, you can tell that he's a guy that had like a commercial and a music video background. It does feel like Titanic, though, Jacqueline, because you have that scene early in the movie where you hear the the the, the sort of orchestral arrangement that that hints at I don't want to miss a thing. The song by Aerosmith. And then it comes back at the end a lot of the same way that Titanic does that, where mm -hmm. you have these notes of Celine Dion, but then oh, yeah. you really get the full power of it at the end. And so if you're talking about songs that were companions to big profile movie releases that really just tugged at your heartstrings. You could go with, what is it, Up Where We Belong with Officer and a Gentleman? I, I, I put this <laughs> on a par with that. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that it's a shame. I went back and looked, and the song that uh, Diane Warren and this lost to, because Aerosmith <laughs> will hate to admit it, but their literally most successful song is a song that they didn't even write and didn't get the majority of the money for. Uh, Diane Warren did. Um, but she ended up losing for The Prince of Egypt, which, don't get me wrong, it's Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey singing okay. it, which is not a bad okay. thing. But come on, this thing was like the hit. And it's unfortunate because it just falls along in this line of people not really caring about those rock ballads that we all think of, but I don't think Academy voters do it. And I don't think uh, Up Where We Belong one as well either. No, I it's don't just think it what, did, yeah. yeah, it's just very really interesting. These pop songs that we so associate with these movies and we are... Like, this is the thing that we think of when we think of this movie, and it's a grand sweeping moment. Usually doesn't get rewarded in the end, but I do agree. It's, like, absolutely incredible. And it is actually a testament to Michael Bay's music video history. He did um, the Meatloaf video, um, I Would Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That. So the man knows how yeah, to set some stuff yeah. to, to some cinematic uh, rock music. But... It's his commercial background that I think belies some of his directing techniques in this one in like not a good way, because this is literally a commercial for the world is going to end. That's that's it. Because the, the, like, look, folks, I don't fancy myself an actor at all, d d despite what the Carfax or Bud Light commercials of my youth would tell you. The one thing there, there's two dream roles that I have in a movie someday. I just want to be a newscaster in a movie just because I, I just think it'd be fun just to like, like, you know, set the movie up like a hurricane is fast approaching. But I also really want to be like, like, the, the, again, going back to Billy Bob Thornton or anybody in charge in this movie, the reveal of the threat 
of how devastating this could be. That is just, as an actor, that's got to be the thing that you just, you sink your teeth into and you're like, oh, I cannot wait to deliver this line in a big blockbuster. I get to tell the president that this thing is the size of Texas. That is one of my favorite takeaways from this movie is just how well those lines that could have fallen flat just continue to engross us in this movie. Parting shots as far as movie talk in this segment goes. Uh, I'll start with you, Juan, then go to Jacqueline um, for your your sort of final summation as to why you feel the way you do about Armageddon. I I mean, to me, I, I think it's just, it's the relentlessness. It's once they're in space, it's like there's over an hour left in the movie and it's just nonstop. And it, it doesn't just, like most movies would build towards the climax. This movie is just, it's all climax. I think that's kind of like what Roger Ebert was saying, but I mean it in a good way. Like they they have to they have to stop on the Russian space station to get fuel and oh now it's gonna explode. And like, oh we we landed wrong. So you guys are over there and you gotta drive over to us. And it's just adding complication layer onto layer until it's like it's almost a parody of a thriller. There's a moment where the team is dismantling the nuclear weapon because, of course, there's also a nuclear weapon that gets set off too early, of course. And uh, Steve Buscemi is just there along the sidelines like, do a good job, do a good job, do a good job. And it's like it's we're almost edging into like a, a, a Abram Zucker parody of this genre. We're like just over the line before this becomes top secret. And like, I don't know, I kind of love that about it. They just go for it. I love that you referenced Abram Zucker because there's another Abrams, not Abrams with the H, but J.J. Abrams, one of the credited writers on mm-hmm. Armageddon. So, and, I and long, remember that, yeah. Before we move on, is this, would, the, would you consider this to be Michael Bay's greatest achievement in filmmaking, or do you have another movie? I, I feel like the Bad Boys, The Rock, Armageddon, like that trilogy, that's, that's peak Bay. Like that's the man's... That's the man's greatest work to date. I I think The Rock is probably my personal favorite out of those three, but I I think you could you could sort of take your pick. Like I I think those three represent the the pinnacle of bayness. Yeah, as our as our fresh ketchup crew knows, I I put The Rock and Point Break as the two greatest action movies of the '90s, but also give a huge shout out again. I thought Thirteen Hours was just fantastic filmmaking. So, uh, Jacqueline Coley, your parting shot for Armageddon. Well, I'll say this, um, even though you didn't ask me, I actually think that The Rock is Michael Bay's greatest. And I say that knowing that I'm betraying the culture by not picking bad boys. But (laughs) the writing that was in The Rock was rewritten, some credited, some uncredited, by none other than Aaron Sorkin and Quentin Tarantino. And it's the only movie of his, I think, that's currently fresh. Or yep. one of one of the few that's currently fresh. So I actually stand by that one. Look, it's not a good movie. At least at this point in Michael Bay's career, he kind of cared. So he cared somewhat, I think, for for story and plot. He gave us that daddy-daughter thing and didn't give us things like, hey, a 17-year-old can bang a 15-year-old and it's a, <laughs> and it's legal. Like a 19 year old can bang a 17 year old and it's legal. Like at least he was moving past that. And he cared enough to give that little bit of, I would say, care to the story and plot. But if you want to turn off your brain for an hour and a half on Fourth of July, I can't think of a better way to do it. Honestly, there's not very many. So unless you're going to watch Legally Blonde, Red, White and, and Blonde. Right. Or you just do that. Uh, you, you can't turn your brain off, but HBO always does their run of John Adams, which I can sometimes get sucked into as well. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to behind the scenes, because there is some stuff to talk about with the making of Armageddon and how it all came together and how we feel about it some two plus decades later. Brian, cue the music. You folks listening have no idea how how what an ego stroke it is to just be able to command someone to cue up music and they do it. And you just feel so powerful for that hour that you're doing the podcast. <laughs> Look, yeah. the, the one name that we didn't touch on a lot in movie talk is Ben Affleck, because 
I think according to Michael Bay slash Jerry Bruckheimer, I, I think Bruckheimer maybe wanted Bay uh, wanted Affleck in this movie more than Bay did. And so I think early iterations of this movie, they really thought that they could have done even without that character entirely. And if you want to know that this movie was made in 1998, look no further than Ben Affleck's character's name, A.J. Frost. If that isn't the most boy band name I've ever heard. <laughs> Yeah. on in the face of human history then that would it, it surprise me um when you look at this movie and you talk about how it came together it's so interesting to see even the cast interviewed about it now it's not one of those films that they shy away from talking about this is not a john cusack refusing to talk about con air situation even billy bomb thornton likes talking about this movie he celebrates this movie i think that they're so enthralled with the fact that they managed to pull it off at all and make it the blockbuster that it was that they look back on it very fondly and so michael bay and the huge box office that this was inevitably lon this movie is the reason why we continue to get michael bay movies and why we got transformers movies so did we shoot ourselves in the artistic foot by supporting this film because of the Transformers franchise that followed. I mean, I definitely think this is one of those scenarios where we invested a filmmaker with a lot of power, and then, I don't know, once they amassed all of this power, did they use it in responsible ways? Like, I, I don't know. Like, somebody <laughs> somebody in a position to give Michael Bay practical advice and tips might have helped us during his Transformers era, when I do feel like it's it's the charm gets sucked away. Like, all, all of the... All of the spectacle and the intensity and the length and the aiming for epicness and the th kitchen sink approach, all that stayed, but he lost the the charm of it and the humanity that it had in stuff like The Rock and uh, Armageddon. And so now it just becomes endless and humorless and, you know, that's how you get a Transformers 4. So, Ironically, Jacqueline, the most human tones that I feel in the Transformers movies are from Optimus Prime. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if that was like voiceover and like Bay was too busy, like, you know, salivating over an explosion. Look, I don't want to discount too as like this morning you're reading about other Hollywood people who had notoriously bad reputations and you realize like whatever the bad reputation was, it was probably a bit worse. But there's like a litany of people that worked with Michael Bay talking about how he was on set and a little, I think it was Megan Fox went on to say he was a little tyrant or worse, like a mini Hitler, which I'm not endorsing that kind of uh, epitaph for anyone. But I do think it can't be discounted to say like, when you get lauded and told that you're amazing and very early in your career, get to work with the likes of George Lucas and um, Spike Jones and David Fincher. And because of that sort of like nepotistic um, boys club, get told how great you are and never really push through because of any actual accomplishments, but just your proximity to greatness. I don't know if that's going to be the best thing for building the type of person who is going to be the best to work with on set. And I'm not basing this on my assessment. I'm basing it on the assessment of the people that have worked with him and what they've said. So um, I think it's a good thing he stepped back a bit from directing. Yeah, and, Bay famously uh, uh, filed storyboards for George Lucas early yeah. on in his mm -hmm. career. Let's talk about the Ben Affleck, though, because, again, the, the, during ma the making of the movie, they might have thought that Ben Affleck was just an afterthought, but... Could you also argue that this movie is the reason why Ben Affleck became the movie star that we still revere him as? His career has had some ups and downs since then, but he was great in the, the Kevin Smith movies. He was great in Goodwill Hunting. But is Armageddon, Lon, the reason why Ben Affleck is still known as Ben Affleck today? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you don't get modern Ben Affleck without a movie or two like this at this moment. You know, like Goodwill Hunting, Chasing Amy... You know, a lot of indie hits, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of popular films are sort of the indoor kids. But this this and, and you know, like the, a few movies that followed were that's what sold him to mainstream America is like he's going to be, you know, a real a real force in movies beyond, you know, being the bomb in Phantoms. So <laughs> which, he, which he definitely was. Yeah, I mean, definitely the bomb in Phantoms. And I mean, I don't think it was necessarily like just this, but but it was. Looking, I I'm think looking it was, at his filmography. It was it was a lot of this. Like I think it was Pearl Harbor slash J Law. 
like yes i mean right benifer benifer was like a big step as well and i you know i mean like boiler room shakespeare love like he popped up in some some stuff that had a little heat but i think when he did i think when he did um daredevil he was a star but I, I don't know. I think it's Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor was when it was like, this has been Affleck. Another right. Michael Bay movie. Another yeah, Michael Bay movie. Enough. So it's still yeah. his fault. So I'm and, definitely saying oh, it's yeah, Michael Bay's sure. fault. Yeah. And, 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 and you can <laughs> you can rightfully criticize Michael Bay for Pearl Harbor and, and a lot of his movies. But there are even scenes in Pearl Harbor, like the first like, like when they're playing baseball and then all the planes are flying overhead. I still I, I feel I feel my stomach drop when I see it. And so the guy does know how to make, if not an entire movie. <laughs> cohesive he does really know how to make scenes that hit you emotionally like the end of armageddon as far as affleck goes you could say the same thing for owen wilson in a sense because michael bay was a huge fan of bottle rocket and that's why owen wilson got cast in this movie and a fun behind the scenes story is that owen wilson was late like an hour and a half he was late to set his first day shooting armageddon and michael bay reportedly told him he just pulled him aside and he said hey you know i did the rock with sean connery Sean Connery was never late once. And as the story goes, Owen Wilson was never late again to the set of Armageddon. Juan, I know that one of the fun gems when you go back and watch this movie is somehow it's a Criterion Collection movie for whatever reason. And you get a lot of... It's a a touchstone Disney thing that their deal with... It is true. Their deal with Criterion was you can have some of the films from the archive that you want, but you've got to put the Michael Bay touchstone movies on Criterion as well. Because so famously, the rock, the, that's the, how the rock and Armageddon ended up with criteria. Well, the rock this, deserves it. But but even Bay himself is kind of like wondering during the director's commentary, why is this a Criterion movie? But I know that you're a huge fan of the commentary. What is your favorite sort of like behind the scenes tidbit from Armageddon? There's, there's a very famous story that's that comes up on the commentary about Ben Affleck behind the scenes that was basically questioning. We mentioned it already, the entire premise of this film. Like it makes <laughs> it doesn't make sense that you would send up roughnecks who are good at oil drilling to space instead of taking guys who are already prepped to go to space and training them. Here's how to work a drill. And they do. I like that they I think maybe in reaction to Affleck's comments, they put this line in the movie. There is one scene where they have Bruce Willis say this to Billy Bob Thor. Like, like, look, it's a delicate art and a science drilling. You can't just teach. I can't. I'm a, I'm a conductor. I have to be there myself. I only trust my crew. And Billy Bob Thor is just like, OK, I accept this. I accept this at face value. Uh it, so, yeah, I, I like that, that even even on set, some of the same criticisms we would say come up with in the Honest Trailers writer, writer's room were already coming up like this. This is a weird plan. Jacqueline, any any last behind the scenes nuggets of wisdom? Um, Just shout out to Animal Crackers. I will say wow. they what made product placement. They really not only was that ingenious product placement, but I know the. The, the girls of 1998, some of them were like, drive me off to the sunset with animal crackers. <laughs> See, animal crackers I, I, definitely was responsible for some for some teen shenanigans. I would <laughs> I would sign off on that if the animal crackers were frosted animal cookies, because those are delicious and still my go to topping. If I ever happen across a pink berry and I have a hankering. Um, mm. This is not but the those first... are definitely cookies. You don't get the cracker cookie disparity, which the entire dialogue of the sequence is built around. No, I, I, I understand what Ben and Liv were going for. I also understand my <laughs> history as a chubby kid, where if you offer me a cracker versus a cookie, the cracker is going to be sitting on that table for a long yeah, time because no. I'm mm. going cookie every <laughs> day, twice on Sundays. Look, this movie, it's a very fun movie to talk about. It is a very fun movie to revisit. And I do actually have a trivia question that Producer Lucy is going to help me answer because I don't know the answer to this trivia question. Juan, as you know, I usually at least know what the answer is or I have it right there in front of me. Yeah, I was going to say somebody's usually put it on a card for you. (laughs) So I'm going to (laughs) ask you and Jacqueline, and you all can team up with this if you want. What is the difference between an asteroid, a comet, and a meteor? Go. Uh, I know a comet is an asteroid and a meteor are both just rock. A comet is a ball of rock and gas. So that's 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 one difference right there. And that it's got a it's got a trail behind it because it's it's leaking gas as it flies. 
I'm gonna uh, guess that an asteroid is before it enters the ash. The, that's exactly the what I was gonna say. I feel like a meteor is once it's coming to hit Earth, it becomes a meteor and then a meteorite, and an asteroid is when it's still in space. Can I tell y'all something? Even if you're completely wrong, that was just as logical as anything in Armageddon, and I believe the <laughs> more way logical. that you two sold yeah, it more. to get the expert behind the scenes analysis. We go to Producey Lucy. Were they correct? Your answers combined, I think, are pretty correct. The short answer <laughs> is an asteroid is a small rocky object that orbits the sun. Asteroids are smaller than a planet, but they are larger than the pebble-sized objects we call meteoroids. A meteor is what happens when a small piece of an asteroid or comet called a meteoroid burns up upon entering Earth's atmosphere. So I too. think y'all are right. Yeah. I agree. I was going to say I was going to say uh, star like material for a comet, which I guess has I'm not gas. letting you get away with star like yeah, material. Rocky yeah, gas. that's that's all. A star yeah, is. it is what it is. A, a, a exactly star like right. material. It's, just a rock and, it's a ball of rock and gas. That's so it. a exactly. comet is a body of ice, rock and dust that can be several yeah. miles in diameter and orbits the sun. So I think comets and asteroids are kind of the same thing. Do Neil deGrasse Tyson, are you listening to our podcast? Please chime in to yeah. email us and tell oh us if we're God. right or wrong. He's got like eight pages of notes already. I'm <laughs> sure he is. <laughs> so much Neil deGrasse Tyson, if you're listening to this and <laughs> it, it, if you are, please, please, please go with Jacqueline and I to go see whenever Greenland 2 comes out because we want you to do <laughs> a scene by scene breakdown what? of how logical it actually is. Can we spoil Greenland? Can, can I? Can I spoil? How, how do you do a second one? They're just what? They're they're building a new house. What is? They're building the world. They're figuring out what happened. Yeah, but how yeah. is that a movie? Well, I feel like it's just gonna have to there be. There may be some people thing. who survived. I feel like are, it's just gonna be a different. Like they get out and then everybody's trying to kill. Remember them that movie? Um, not movie. There was a TV show on Fox that cost way too much money, and I don't know why it ever got uh, Terra Nova. It's gonna be oh, like right, Terra yeah. Nova. Yeah, where like they blast that they're trying to like start a new Earth and like a different. That's planet. what this is yeah. gonna be. Terra Nova. Terra Nova is one of those shows like Dinotopia where the only reason I know it is because you could just hear Joe Buck's soul die when he has to promote it during a football game. It's like <laughs> tune in to a new Terra. We gotta there, save the world. Terra Nova. Or, yeah. Anyway, third and eight, Troy. What's Dak <laughs> Prescott gonna do here? <laughs> um, that was a great uh, question. Thank you, Lucy, for that. I would totally sign off on you being a high school science teacher. And with that, we are going to move on to our next section, which is mailbag. And I once again get to be the little hairy stamper of this show and say, Brian, conduct the music. You can hit us up anytime. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. That's RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. We love hearing your comments, your questions, and particularly recommendations for what movies we should be talking about with future episodes. That's actually probably how we got Armageddon on this program today. So this is from our member of the Ketchup Crew, Jeff Foxcroft. What a cool, that Jeff Foxcroft sounds like a name that you would hear in Armageddon is like one of the cool oil rig workers. So Jeff, if you work in oil, let us know. Jeff says, hey, y'all, just got my last action hero 4K disc and was surprised it only had a 40% rating from critics and a 47% score from the audience. WTH, I remember it failing at the box office, but I personally love the movie and know it has its fans. Is it perfect? Not at all, but it's a fun, subversive take on the 1980s action hero genre and Rotten Tomatoes is wrong on both fronts. In my opinion, it's a misunderstood, underrated gem. Please keep this movie in mind for future shows. Shout out to our Austin gal, Jacqueline. Love the show and keep ah. up the good work. That is from Jeff, who is also in Austin. Surprisingly, he's, he's one of the few non-comedians currently living in Austin. Jacqueline. <laughs> They're allowed? Is that allowed? I, I, I did not know that that was currently illegal oh. in Austin is to not tell jokes. So I love that call. Last action hero, Juan Harris, you're our special guest today. 30 seconds as to whether last action hero should be higher than 40% on the tomato meter. Yeah, once again, Rotten Tomatoes completely missing the boat on this one. I, I love Last Action Hero. I think it was before its time. I think if you released Last Action Hero today, everything's more meta. People are more into the self-aware post-postmodernist kind of take on stuff. I think this could be a huge hit today. I actually pitched, I think, on Movie Fights, a, some of, this is a prime remake opportunity, I think, to do a new version of this that parodies like a John Wick style action franchise 
Um, so yeah, I think this one just suffered coming out obviously around the same time as Jurassic Park and then just being ahead of its time. Like, uh, you know, a Shane Black script before the world was ready for mm. what Shane Black does. It's That would be a fun episode, Jacqueline. I actually am about this. Uh, I was looking at the kid that was in here because I was like, I need to remember exactly who the kid was in that. Austin that's the O'Brien. Only- yeah. yeah. And I just have to say for that one, shout out to my girl too. I was like, that's what that kid is. Because he's All also right. in that one. Another underrated gem. Um, I, I'm with you on the on the last action hero, but I'm also saying we should do the last Boy Scout. That's what Ooh, I first yes. thought of when I thought of this movie. Um, shout out to yes. Jeff, though. Um, first of all, I have not been to Austin in years. It's sad. I'm going to get to go there very soon. So, Jeff, please go have queso everywhere you possibly can, because I can just tell you there's <laughs> mm. a severe queso mm. deficiency mm. in California, and it really oh, breaks my yeah. heart daily. Also, um, I hope you're having fun at Barton Springs, because I am not. But I will be there soon. Shout out to ATX stand up <laughs> and brisket. Two of my favorite things when I go to Austin. Or you can Thank get you. a queso brisket grilled cheese sandwich because they have that too. Uh, just out. point me at the food truck and uh, and we're going. Um, thank you, Jeff and Austin, for that wonderful email. Again, you can email us anytime. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. Juan Harris, it has been an absolute treat to have you on a show for just about an hour and only have to ask you one movie trivia question <laughs> yeah, wow. which is more of a Shoot. science trivia question than anything yeah. else um what is uh what, what, what are you working on tell me more about the podcast you do with our good friend hal rudnick where can all the kids out there find you yeah binge boys that's the podcast i do with Hal Rudnick. we basically just watch a ton of streaming tv shows and films on all the platforms and then yak at each other about them do some news you know all, all the things that are going on on streaming tv so it's a good way to keep up with what shows you need to watch and what's coming back and what's happening on the calendar. And also, you know, here, get get some chuckles from from Hal and myself having fun and, and, and knocking that around. So that's on Spotify, iTunes, basically anywhere you would go to find your podcast selections and listen to them. Uh, just search for Binge Boys, not The Binge Boys. There's another... There's another group of boys who binge with a the in their name. So just Ooh. Binge Boys. First. Okay. I Hi. smell an American Gladiator style free for all. Yeah. If only they would meet us in the cage and we could work <laughs> this out like men in the octagon. But so far, no luck. Uh, while you're doing all that stuff for uh, Binge Boys, you can also do that for us here at Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Wherever you enjoy your podcast, you can either subscribe or follow or rate, review, do all the fun stuff that they encourage you to do because it helps us continue to talk about movies. Lon cannot let you get out of here before you give us some sort of streaming movie recommendation, something in theaters you like, something that is uh, available to people in their homes. What is something that Lon Harris says everybody out there needs to watch? Uh, my absolute favorite show of this year so far. I know a lot of other people have already probably recommended it to you. I'm going to add my voice to the choir. Hacks on HBO Max with Gene Smart. Uh, the, the the funniest show that I've seen this year. It has a lot of heart, great characters. It's another one of those things. We were talking about this with over again, where every role is somebody funny. There's no like throwaway. Even if you only get like two scenes of the whole season, they put somebody hilarious in the part. Uh, I really, I really enjoyed it. But it's about stand up, right? And so I, I yeah, just get Gene, triggered by shows Lee about stand up. Is like a is like a Joan Rivers type legendary Vegas comedian. She yep. hires Hannah Einbender, who's this young comedy writer, who to come in and like write jokes for her. I don't. I I, I feel like it's a more realistic depiction of the world of comedy than say Punchline or some of the great stand up <laughs> films. Of, uh, of history, but who could say? I'm not, we, I'm not a pro. So we need know. to have Punchline. We, we need to do an episode of Punchline. <laughs> I bet Rotten Tomatoes is right about Punchline. Even sight unseen, I bet you're right. Whatever it's at, it's probably right. Uh, Jacqueline, <laughs> it, was, it was a fun one today. This was one that we've been looking forward to for a long time. And, yes, sir. You know, we're not done, and hopefully we're never done talking about some of the big blockbusters of yore on this here show. What do we have in store for the kids next week? All right, kids, next week, we're actually going to do one that I feel the Internet has had a lot to say about. Not as much as it's as is a preceding film, but we're going to be breaking down is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about Iron Man 2, the one that gave us Scarlett Johansson instead of Emily Blunt as Black Widow. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but I just wanted everyone to know this is where it happened. (laughs) 
This is where it happened. We got Mickey Rourke, and he was a big fan of birds. And there's a really cool scene that involves <laughs> racing indie cars and a whole lot more. We also got Don Cheadle replacing Terrence Howard. There's going to be a lot to talk about in this here movie. So Iron Man 2 is next week for Lon Harris, Jacqueline Coley, Producey Lucy, Brian, our engineer, the entire hardworking gang here behind the scenes at Rotten Tomatoes. I am merely Mark Ellis. You can see me live in Seattle. July 24th. You can get tickets at markellis.live. And until next week, make sure you rate, subscribe, follow, do all those things for the podcast because you don't want to miss a thing. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.